Hallelujah. 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 Come on, let's just transition our posture for a minute and let's go ahead and stand up. Hallelujah. Let's just transition our posture for a minute and let's go ahead and stand up. Father, we thank you this morning, God. We thank you this morning, God, for this mercy that's been renewed upon our life, God. Thank you for the words that you've already spoken into our life this day. Father, we seize the opportunity that's before us right now. God, with an attitude, God, to be transformed this morning, God. With an attitude, God, that says, I'm no longer going to be conformed to this world. I'm going to follow the pattern of this world, the customs of this world. I'm going to have my mind renewed this day. Thank you that perfect love drives out fear. Come on, let the perfect love of the Lord just begin to drive out the fears, the, the things that you don't know the answers to, that you're afraid of finding out or afraid of not knowing, the fears. What do I do with my life? What do I do in my ministry? What do I do? What's next for me? Perfect love drives out fear, drives out worry, anxiety. Just receive that right now. Perfect love drives out fear, any fear of financial burdens and paying school bills and, and, and things of, 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 of debt. Perfect love drives it out. It removes its power. It revokes the license that fear has gained. If you've licensed any kind of a fear in your life, I want you to just revoke it. Pull its license. You are no longer authorized. You are no longer authorized or empowered to make me fear, to be afraid of. I remove your access. I remove your access to the corners of my heart in Jesus' name. I will not fear. I will not fear. Praise the Lord. I will not be afraid. I will not be dismayed. Dismayed is to be struck so hard that you're confused. The enemy sometimes can hit us in a place that knocks the wind out of our sails and makes us lose our bearings for a moment. We, re we receive the word, the Lord says, I will not be dismayed. We worship you, Lord. We thank you for this time in this chapel. And God, we just, we, we charge, Father God, all things under your covering, your protection, and your authority right now. We thank you that we have Jesus, an advocate with the Father right now, whoever lives to make intercession for us, Lord. Thank you for advocating on our behalf, Lord. Thank you for seeing, God, the end from the beginning. Thank you for your God's eye view over our lives. And we trust that God's eye view. Imagine, if you will, this morning that your life is like a, a parade for the day you were born to the day that you die. A God's eye view would be able to look right to the front and to the back at the same time. That blimp in the sky that can see the end from the beginning. 
God knows how to turn you. God knows where the potholes of life are. And we just trust him with the, with the authority today. We just trust him with that authority today. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. Come on and just, uh, oh, yeah, praise God. You can praise him. Don't. I don't want a golf clap for Jesus, okay? Come on and find your seat real quick and get it in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4. There's a lot of different ways to look at the Bible and try to gain understanding from the Bible. And, and two ways of looking at the Bible, and of course this is not the only two, but for this morning's purpose I'd like to, to share with you these two. <clears throat> and please allow me the liberty. I have a piece of gum in my mouth. I normally don't preach with gum, but my throat is just raw. But I've, I've, I've used it for good reason, amen? And I've got this little mint on standby, so... I got two bottles of water. I think I'm going to make it through. Amen. But um, I know that I, I don't want you to think that I'm just, you know, uh, you know, chewing the cud up here. All right. But if I do, it's because my throat is really raw and I'm, I just need a little help this morning. So but two ways that I like to view the Bible. And again, not the only two ways, but for this morning's purposes that you look at the Bible and it's informational. It's informational. It's containing information. OK. It's historical. We're not using that as the two types. I'm just saying underneath informational would be like historical, like facts would be like, you know, dates and times and, um, you know, uh, lineage. All those things are, those are informational, right? Well, they're important. How many believe that information is important? Amen. We've got to have our facts correct. Amen. The Bible is, there's no mistake in the Bible at all. And that's the wrestling that people have. We got to trust the information that's here. Amen. Uh, and uh, we, we have to match it up uh, and, 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 and trust that what it says here, no matter what, you know, is digged up in the earth, uh, we trust what it says here. Amen? You know, there's a, the gospel of Judas was uncovered. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there's many books that claim to be written by apostles or people, biblical people, and uh, we, you know, they're they're not included in our Bible because they're not they haven't been authorized. They hadn't, uh, you know, borne the proof of true authorship. They weren't canonized. They weren't they weren't included because it, there was something there was some kind of discrepancy. And you know, uh, my pastor David uh, Garcia, you know, he shared with me really that he felt like the Lord said that one of the ways that uh, that Christians are going to be deceived in the end times is an archaeological discovery of a gospel, another gospel, or or an epistle. And uh, he said he really felt strong as a young man studying the Lord. Really showed him that this is the way the uh, Antichrist and uh, some of the new, uh, you know, the the ecumenical religions of how we can find, you know, holes to include other people into our faith. And so you know. You be very skeptical, and I mean, I love studying things. I mean, I, I've read, you know, the Gospel of Thomas and and, and, and some of the Apocrypha. You know, I, I do it because I want to be informed. I want information, right? But, you know, I always take it with a grain of salt. You know, I, I, I don't quote from the Book of Enoch because it's not included. I mean, it has information in it, and uh, we can, we can, you know, commentaries are informative, but they're not authorized, Right? I like a lot of what Josephus says, but uh, and he historically seems to be correct in a lot of things. But there are a few things that I've read in there that I just, you know, it doesn't line up with the instruction that, excuse me, with the information that I receive in the Bible. So the Bible can be viewed as instructional, and then the Bible can be viewed as informational. I'm sorry, I did that backwards. Infor instructional is the second type. Informational and instructional, okay? So there are two, those are the two ways that I, that I like to view the Bible. Information and instruction, okay? So there are passages of Scripture which are not only there just to read, but they are actually instructions for living, amen? And then information is there for historical, you know, perspective and uh, just 
informational. There's so many things that fall under both those categories. But you, when, when you read the Bible and then you read it as the word of God and the, and the logos of God, um, that's the one way that you can read the Bible. And then the application of instruction can actually come out of information, right? Meaning you take historical things and the spirit moves upon you to give you a deeper understanding of where you are or where people that you're ministering to can are or can be or will be. And then it moves from a logos into a rhema. Okay? That's that on time word. Right? And and, and, and logos is is powerful. Amen. There's nothing less. I mean, we get, you know, I think in the 80s and 90s, there's this, you know, the word of faith movement was really gaining a lot of ground. And 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 one of the one of the um, champions of the faith, of course, was Kenneth Hagin and, you know, great teacher. And he, he his uh, uh, his ministry was Rama Ministries and they have Rama Bible College. And Rama is that, you know, that different between Logos is Logos is red. And then Rama is just spirit enabled for the moment. Right. And so that was the kind of the word of faith, really. And I'm not giving you a, a real long definition, a great history of that. I'm just trying to give you the application. Because what happens to me and the way that I've learned to interpret the Bible and minister, what makes ministry so powerful, I believe, in, in, in what God's done in my life, is that I allow the Lord to take informational passages of Scripture and make them instructional. Which means I let Logos become Rhema. Okay, and that is probably one of the best keys I can give you as you're building, uh, uh, you know, a relationship with the with the text of the Bible is to be open to the history of the Bible, and within that, allow the types and shadows of prize to be magnified. Allow the symbolic things of the passage to speak to today, because God knew that the Bible would still be around today. Don't you agree? And he knew that there were things that were written in there that they seem like archaic and old and not of any use. A lot of people read the Old Testament and they go, well, I don't want to read this anymore because, you know, it's not really the words of Jesus. And, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's a lot of stuff. We don't really do farming like they did. And, no, we don't do it. And so they, they, they lose so much value in the scriptures. And that's what being a good student of the word is about, is about going back and, and finding out the history and digging up the treasures, you know. Um, God showed me one time that there are, you know, two careers that dig up things, archaeologists and treasure hunters. And I've said that, I know I said that probably, I think it was last year I said, you know, you're either one type or another. You're either an, are you an archaeologist or are you a treasure hunter? Are you digging up dead things? Because that's what archaeologists do. They dig up dead things. They find the bones of old things and dig them up. And, um, and I, and I, and I kind of spiritualize that by saying that are you digging up the old man are you digging up old offenses are you digging up old hurts because if you just become an archaeologist you know when you're dealing with your life and people's lives around you because people look back at the faults and past mistakes of people ministers and ministries and 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 they they end up digging up things that people went and repented to god for right or you can be the other type of person you or you could be a treasure hunter digging up something amen and I look at the passage that we, when we dig it up, we're looking for the treasure. Amen? And so in this passage of Scripture, we're look, uh, I want to look at this morning, um, I, want you to, I want you to understand this is, this is an informational passage. It's a historical fact. This, uh, this exactly happened as we have it in the text. Amen? So first, uh, the first uh, chapter, or excuse me, the fourth chapter, first verse of 2 Kings. I'm reading from the New King James. It says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take away my two sons to be his slaves. Okay? Uh, just, just for informational sake, uh, you know, commentary, uh, commentaries and authors of commentaries uh, the the fact is that we don't know for certain, but it says a certain woman, okay, and it gives the description. She's a wife of the sons of the prophets, okay. And when you look at that, you're saying, okay, well, who who who's she talking to? She talking to Elisha, who's now over the school of the prophets, okay. Then when you then what you got to do is begin to research and see who were the important figures 
mentioned in the Bible, right? So through deduction and again, no, this is not historically. Uh, uh, there's no facts in the Bible that said this is it. But this could be the wife of Obadiah. See, Obadiah is noted as taking care of the 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 the, the, the school of the prophets during the famine and hiding them in caves so that they weren't killed and destroyed while you know Ahab and Jezebel were out you know killing all the prophets and and the, and the people that loved God with a pure heart and called them out on the carpet for the evil that they were doing in the land and uh it's possible that this was Obadiah's wife and uh you know if we deduct that from the passage we can see that he mortgaged everything he had for the sake of the gospel and here, here he is, he's gone on, he's died, and here's his wife in a bad situation. The creditor's coming to take my two sons, okay? <clears throat> that's, that's the offspring, you know, of, of, of Obadiah the prophet. So his legacy, in other words. Verse 2, so Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me. What do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you, shut, you shall shut the door behind you. And your sons then pour it out into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. So I want to just look at this passage this morning. I want, I want to show you what, how I work with the text and how the Holy Spirit works with the text in my, and has worked in the text in my life and how I apply it. You know, before I ever minister the word that I'm going to sh you know, share with the group of people, the word has already cut me. The Bible says the word of God is a two-edged sword. Amen. That means there's blades on both sides of that thing. It's not one side. It's not a machete. It's a double-edged sword. So be long before it ever cuts the people, it had better had already cut me. And that's the truth of it. The words that minister best to people are words that have cut you first. If you don't let the word of God cut you, if you're looking for a sermon, if you're looking for a word of God, look in your life and see what God's dealing with you right now. God knows you're being assigned to speak or you're being uh, uh, given the opportunity to, and the privilege to speak in his behalf and deliver the mail. He knows that. He knows the group of people you're going to. And a lot of times we're trying to, I, and, and don't get me wrong, we need to look at the people who we're ministering to and we need to see their situation. That's the relationship that the preacher, the minister has with the people that he's ministering to. He has to, he has to come to their level. In some way, if there's people in your life that remind you of your old self, you've got to go back to your old self and not dig up the bones, but find the treasures and the truth and see what God healed from your past. Amen? You've got to dig it up. And look at it, inspect it, and remind yourself how far you've come. And remind yourself what you felt like if you recognize it in the people who you're ministering to. And then try to preach from there. Don't preach from the stage. Preach from the pew. That's what I do. You know, and one great thing about the Lord's gift in our life and the Holy Spirit is He is simultaneously broadcasting into their head and into yours at the same time. Guess what? I literally found out that if you listen while you preach, you can hear the thoughts of people sitting all across the room. You know what makes the word of knowledge so powerful is they think the question in their head or the remembrance of something that comes to their head, and at the same time, the Holy Spirit broadcasts it to the minister, and you say it just immediately or sometimes right after they thought it. That's how you make God known as omniscient, omnipotent, and, 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 and all-powerful. Because what they just thought, you just said behind the microphone. And then you take it to another level when you say to an individual, 
can't be afraid to say what the Holy Spirit deposits in your mind. And you've got to learn to discern because everything that he tells you is not meant to be said. See, we get so excited with revelation, we think we've got to share it now. See, God sometimes tells you what people are going through, not so you can go and confront them right away on it, but so that you can prepare yourself, pray up, get wisdom about the situation, and ask God, what is my role in this? Is it to intercede? Is it to bring, uh, uh, is it to bring, uh, 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 the, bring myself to the Scripture to find the medication for their illness? Yeah. Is it to directly confront? We think when we get a revelation, it means immediately to confront. And let me tell you something. The Bible says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. When you speak the word at a, t at a time, at the wrong time, it's not received correctly. If you wait too long to say it, it won't be received the next day or hours later as it would when God quickened it to your heart. If God says, hold on to the word. See, like there were several things that I knew about people that I was ministering to this weekend. And uh, uh, I'm sure she wouldn't. Uh, I, I feel I feel OK in my heart because I'm not going to share anything. But Agnes was in the weekend retreat the whole time. And I knew I had a word for her the whole time. And God told me not to minister to her. Wait. And she was growing hungry. She was getting her eyes off of man. She was putting her desperation, and she knew God was going to give her a word, and she became patient for it, and God rewarded her for her patience. And then in the right time, when God gave me the liberty, although I knew it since Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then in the end into the altar. Okay? See, revelation is so valuable, it's got to be protected. Amen? It's like going down to, you know, to the hood, chunked up with gold and money coming out your pockets and you just walking around and trying to show off. You're going to get jacked. You, you know, and just because you have a revelation uh, from God, first off, it came from God. You, you got it from him. OK, and it's up to him to tell you when to deliver the mail. OK, so when we look at this passage of scripture. I'm looking at the passage to talk to me personally, and I'm looking at the passage to how can how can this apply today to whoever I'm going to be ministering to in the setting that I'm ministering to. And so I see that question there, and I see it says, you know, I'm I, I try to say, okay, I look at the story and there's Elisha, and I'm not saying I'm Elisha, but maybe in this situation I want to be like Elisha. So the woman is in need. I've got to be the Elisha in this situation. So. I look at the thing and he says, what shall I do for you? So the question is asked. So then I take that same question and I try to be the woman and I try to be Elisha and I try to be everybody. I try to put myself in all the characters. Why? Because I want a full perspective. The gospel is not one book. Amen. There are four books of the gospel to give you a north, south, east and west view of Jesus. John saw something different than Mark did. Luke wasn't even there. He had to get reports from others that saw him. Amen. Matthew, who was coming from a tax collecting perspective, a business perspective, a Jewish predominated, uh, predominantly Jewish perspective, was trying to convince Jews that Jesus was Messiah. Come on. So when we get into the text of the Bible, how, you know, let's just take a random story. How am I like Samson? How, how, how am I like Delilah? Okay? You don't want to beat them bad people in the Bible, but this is sad to say there might be a little Samson in you. Okay? How, uh, uh, you know, how would I feel if I were a Manoah and his wife? You know? So we gotta we insert ourselves in the text via the Holy Spirit, amen. So we ask that question to ourselves, what shall I do to you? God is saying, find out your purpose in the situation. As the minister, find out what you're supposed to be doing in this situation. Get more information from the people that you're ministering to. Amen? Who was in my life and who is in my life now? What am I, what am I doing here? Why, you know, that's what Elisha was saying. What do you want me to do for you? Amen? Where has he taken my life? and Where is he taking my life? What can God do to me in this situation? And what can God do through me in this situation? And see, that's all going on in a just split seconds in Elisha's mind. Amen.
Those are the things that, that God is asking of you. And so then you see a second question. You know, after she replied, you know, um, he says, what should I do? He tell me. Then he says, tell me what you got in the house, right? What do you have in the house? See, God's saying that, you know, okay, now you're going to put it on the people to see what God's going to use. They give the, offer them an opportunity to, to, to partner. This is what I see from the text anyway. You know, look around. Look, what, you know, what shall I do for you? What do you got in this house, you know, that we can use to solve your problem? Well, let's think about the house. The house is, you know, you or the person you're ministering to. Well, what do you have in you already that God's deposited that he can use if he puts his finger on it? Amen? What strengths are in you? The people you're ministering to, counseling, or, 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 or trying to strengthen in discipleship. You've got to help them to evaluate who they are and see that, you know, God's already put some stuff in your house that he's going to use. You think you, and her reply is what? I have what? Nothing. Take inventory of what is in your house. See what's out of place. See what's missing. Find the pieces of the puzzle and start putting them together. And she says, I have nothing. And then she, she, she understands that. Then she says, oh, well, I have nothing. And then she says, oh, but, but, but I do have, I have nothing in the house but a jar of oil. You know, it's almost like she's ashamed. Like, look, I got something to cook with. I just ain't got anything to cook either. You know, I just got this oil. That's all I got, you know. And so she's 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 confessed. Well, this is all that she has. She's been honest with herself. And then God uses the nothing or the next to nothing, the little in our lives to make his miracle. OK, see, how did I get that? I evaluate the woman. The woman really had nothing. And sometimes all we have is just this little bit of oil. All we have is just this little bit of faith. That person coming to you, you know, they look and they look at themselves and they have nothing you know, to start their miracle with. But in somewhere, we have to encourage them to look around and find the something that God's going to use. Amen? And if they truly have nothing, you have something to give them. Amen? So we think of Elisha in this story. We think of the woman. We think of her two sons. What are they thinking about? Because they're a part of the story. They're not talking, but they're a part of the story. They're in the house. They're listening to Elisha. They know that the creditors come knocking on their door and saying, I'm coming back to get my, if you don't give me my money, those two boys are going to be my slaves. Desperate people do desperate things. Amen? And sometimes places of desperation are the, the, is, is exactly the limb of faith God wants us to be on. Amen? I can tell you desperation through my life. Desperation has brought me to my miracle time and time again. Amen? And a woman, woman with an issue of blood was so desperate that she broke the law of, uh, uh, of the land to touch the hem of a garment of a man who was holy. And got her miracle. She pressed through the crowd. Amen. So I'm just, I'm just kind of, I want to, I'm, I'm just trying, trying to break down the text as we go through this, and, and I want you to start to apply the Bible this way and, and look at it in your, in your life, in the text, the text that God highlights to you. Um, and so I, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to share a couple testimonies and just kind of get back to really kind of interpreting the passage and let the Holy Spirit show you how you can do it. Okay. So. I started off with you can take this passage and do it as you will or any other passage God lets you. But let's just come on and go through what he says, okay? So God begins to give direction his, through his instructions, right? He says in verse 3, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Don't just gather a few. So that's the first instruction. Go borrow vessels from everywhere, amen? So I look at that passage and I think of something. And I said, okay, God, how can I spiritualize this in the situation? Vessels, to me, represent people. Okay? So no, we're, not, we're taking a historical or an informational story, and now we're going to allow the rhema of God to take objects that are not people but make them into people because God uses uh, typology a lot in the Bible. Amen? We know that, you know, he talks about vessels of honor and vessels of wrath. You know, he talks about the potter. 
We talked about all the things. So now I've got to go and do my research on vessels now in the Bible. And now every time I look at vessel in the Bible and I can find it applying to where it says as a person, now I'm thinking about that. So now I can say when I come to preach, now I'm not going to no longer look at it like it was a bottle of oil and that they were going and buying, borrowing pots and things like that. Now I'm going to go and get vessels from everywhere. So I look and I say, okay, what does that really mean? That's the go ye command of the Lord. Go ye into all the world. Amen. That's what it, this is the gospel. This is foreshadowing the Jesus to the church saying, here's how we're going to do this thing. Okay. Look what's ha Look what happens. Go and borrow vessels from everywhere. His desire is from every nation, tribe and tongue. And I've got to communicate that to my congregation or to the people that I'm listening. I've got to in, I've got to encourage them to go and get the vessels for Jesus. Amen. Because the creditor is coming and he's going to take my sons as slaves. I say, okay, I've got to go back and think, what is a creditor? I'll tell you what the creditor is. The creditor is religion. And every denomination that started in the earth started it off in the spirit. And when they ceased to move with the spirit, they became religious and became following a set of systems and methods and, and, and rules. Catholics to Lutheran. Martin Luther gets the revelation, solo fideo, and all the 95 theses that he nails to, or that he puts in a knife in the door. And that spirit is with the Lutherans, and they, they're purged from the Catholic religious system. But then the Lutherans only go so far with the Holy Spirit. And they don't they don't go on. And you know, and so then you have the reformers who get in. And then in the 16th century, the there's a group of people who are reading the Bible, and they read this word in the Greek, baptizo. And they say, whoa, this, what we've been doing, this infant baptism is not right. The word is to immerse into water. And so they're ridiculed and called Anabaptists. And now water baptism through immersion is revealed back to the church. God is restoring revelation. And so the Anabaptists move forward, and the Lutherans and, every, and all the others that don't want to do that kind of a baptism, they don't follow the Spirit. And so what I'm saying, okay, so religion is coming, and he wants to take my two sons as slaves. Sons are the legacy of the church, amen? The next generation of the church, amen? You see how that can preach now? We're taking an informational story, and now we're allowing the rhema and the types and shadows to stand out. And now we can preach the text differently. Now it's not just, hey, I'm going to tell you what happened to this lady. She had two kids. and this, uh, Now we're trying. And listen, we're not trying to preach them a new theology. I'm not saying this is the, this is the, in, this is the application of this text. No, this is one application. This is my viewpoint of the text. This is how I can make the Bible alive and fresh today. Amen? And listen to me. You have to be very careful when you do this. This is how heresy is born. This is how things are taken to the extreme. Because people try now to begin to preach this as a doctrine. Okay? Not this particular way. But that's, this, is what, this is how this happens. Okay? They look at one scripture in the Bible, and then they apply it to, maybe a rhema came to them, and it was applicable to them. And then all of a sudden, now there's a new, you know, a new movement. I mean, just, uh, you know, the, the, the vessel movement, <laughs> you know. And now, now we're, you know, we, we call ourselves the vessel church, you know. And we, we, we're all, you know, we're all about all different types of vessels, you know what I mean? And, we, you know, it's just, so we got to be careful. We, we, we need to let our audience know that, you know, that this is what God is revealing to us for today, for us right now. But we're not going to make this a doctrine. Amen? Okay, so then... Go and borrow vessels from everywhere. And we see that, you know, that he, he goes all around, uh, you know. And then the, 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 the second one is the second instruction is don't borrow or gather just a few. So I, I you know, and I've actually preached this message. And I'll, I'll get somebody out of the audience. And I'll send them out of the room. I'll get three or four people. And I'll say, go get me some vessels. And they'll come back with like, you know, someone will come back with like a, a Gatorade bottle or a water bottle. And. You know, someone will come back with, and they'll come back, and I say, put them up here, you know. So now I'm, now I'm giving them something to remember, something that they're going to see when they look at a Gatorade bottle. And then I said, no, the Bible said, don't just get, go get some more. Look around, because guess what? He says, you know, 
don't just get a few. And they went into all their neighbors, and they get, at, they get as many. So I send them out two or three times, and I keep preaching. And then all of a sudden, all these different shaped vessels are across the stage. And now I stop everything from the text, and I go and I look at the different things that they brought up. And then I begin to talk about the different types of people. Not everybody's the same. It's not all the same bottles here. You see what I'm saying? One time I had a guy, they brought a trash can up here, you know? And so I was like, God, how would I put, you know, I don't want to call anybody a trash can. And the Lord said that, you know what? Tell them this, that there's some people that God calls to take out the trash, you know? And where you take the trash out of people's lives. And so you can you can allow the Spirit to to help you to understand. I don't. So you look down the list, and you look, and you're like, you just do, all this is happening in a split second, and people are thinking at the same time, and the Holy Spirit is simulcasting, and your, and your spirit and their spirit are connecting to the Holy Spirit. That's why I say this all the time. I say, the amazing thing of the gospel and the ministry that God allows us to do is that here's a man that you don't know on a day-to-day basis, but you trust that God sent him because he bears witness inside of you, and he can speak for 45 minutes. Cynthia will get something different than Adam will. Griselda will get something different than her own husband will. And it'll all apply and it'll all be, it'll convict in different points. And that's because it's the Holy Spirit is doing, doing all this at the same time. And we can't underestimate what we see if they do or they don't respond. That's not our job. To, but we, we compel them to come and we urge them to come. But people sometimes walk out that door and they don't look like they got it. And all of a sudden, a week or two weeks later, we found out they got it. Amen? I know I'm, I'm, my time is going from me, but I just want to take it down just a few more uh, uh, passages, and we'll see what see what it says. Okay, and so he says, "Go and bather, uh, go and borrow, not just a few." And then it says he specifies empty vessels. And I and again, I did the empty vessels, all shapes and sizes, and I talked about God doesn't discriminate. God makes room for men, and we can't just pick the vessels that are clean. We've got to pick all the vessels, you know. So I said, you know, if there's any in the trash, bring them up here, you know. And so, you know, we, we're, we're trying to get them to remember the illustration. We're trying to get them. Is this helping anybody today? I, I, you know, I, I, could, I, I really intended to come in here and preach this word to you, and that would have been a great thing. But I really felt prompted in, 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 in talking with Pastor Joe and Nancy last night and a couple nights ago about the school, you know, about the prophetic gifts in my life and everything like that. I, I wanted to kind of bring more of a, a – you're, you're preachers, and I wanted you to see how God does it through me, okay? And so rather than me preaching this message to you, I want the Holy Spirit to show you how he built this message in me, how he licked the envelope and put it in my hand, so to speak, so that I could deliver it, okay? I want you to be able to do the same thing. So take whatever the Holy Spirit is showing you from what I'm ministering to you today and do it, okay? So then he goes, the fourth instruction that I saw was shut the door behind you. And God really spoke a really convicting word at this point when I was reading the text. And this was the conviction that I had was that, you know, what's the significance of her shutting the door behind her? You know, why not do this in the middle of the street so the whole world can see it, you know? And God God said to me, the application for me and the conviction that I had looking at the church and some of the, you know, the, the, the gross pride and the idea of the one man show that has become churchianity to really address that issue and then so this is the phrase God spoke to me he said God's miracles are not a sideshow at a carnival we don't charge admission you know and what it's like you know have you ever been to a carnival and they're like you know come on in this room and they this is what we want you to see or you know they have the so you know it then I can now I can bring in the fact of how people have preached the gospel wrongly because how many know that one of the biggest hindrance for people coming to Jesus is Christians or people who proclaim themselves as Christians and sometimes preachers. The preacher did something or said something or is doing something. Maybe their grandma was getting fleeced by some tele-evangelist. Amen? 1995 and raw, we'll give you this river water from Jordan. You know? Two drops in your coffee every morning do good. We got people who sell the miracle river water from Jordan. I got two pennies to put in my shoes from 
St. Matthew's thing, and it came in the mail, and this send your best offering back. You know, it's all these gimmicks, and they're just these, they're, they're, not, they're not Christians, but they're making money off of the gospel. They're fleecing the sheep. And so I had to bring that out. God spoke that to me. It's not a sideshow at a carnival, and he, 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 we're not to charge admission. So God says, shut the door behind you. And then the fifth instruction I saw was to pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. I mean, look at that. He, that's the instruction, to pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. He says that in verse 4, when you come in, shut the door behind you, you and your sons, then pour it into all, of the, all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Now, how could, let me just, let, let's just open it up to you out there. How would you be able to apply that if you were ministering and you were here this morning and speaking to us from this passage, how do you think you could apply that? What, what symbolically could we say when someone, you know, you, let's just use that fifth instruction that he said, I'll read it again, to pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Anybody, come on, lift your hand and I'll, and I'll call on you. Go ahead, Dan. Very good, very good. Setting aside is consecration, sanctifying, that's good. Okay. What are you sanctifying? Well, what's the text say? Let's just say what the text says first. Okay, but which specifically, what kind of vessels? Full ones. Well, what are they full of? What does oil symbolize? There's your preaching. There, there's your platform to preach from. Okay, so he says, gather the vessels, pour the oil into them, means fill them up with the Holy Spirit, and when the ones that are full of the Spirit they're full of the spirit set them aside and consecrate them you can preach from right there amen i feel the holy ghost on that right now amen i mean we're not going to set aside and consecrate halfway filled people are we those people aren't going to do us any good we want people that have been cleaned out discipled they have a they have a container built to uh, to first off, they have to have the capacity to hold the oil that it won't leak all over them and all over the floor and make a mess. We've got to set aside the full ones, the ones that are submissive to authority, that are under a covering, that have been repaired. I'm not saying they're 100% right, or, yeah, but they're the full ones, the ones that are continually being filled. So we set them aside. So now we can preach from that consecration, dedication, sanctification unto the ministry of God. They've got the oil, the spirit on them, and they're ready to be used. All right? Then he says, pour it into all those vessels, set aside the full ones. Okay? And then God uses her faith for the miracle. And I talk about the divine partnership in verse 5 of the Theodunamis, because she obeys what God said, right? Look what it says. She went in, shut the door behind him, and she poured it out. Amen? We can talk about pouring it out, the responsibility of pouring it out. We can talk about pouring out your heart. We can talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and allowing the tongues of intercession to pour out and, you know, to intercede and proclaim for the nations. And, and you know, so you can take it any direction the Lord shows you. Amen? Verse 6 says, now when it came to pass, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. Okay, so her legacy, the next generation, who's she asking to bring the vessels? Who did God say, go and get the vessels to? So this is a challenge to the young people now. We can say, okay, now let's include them. We're not only talking to your parents now. We're only talking to the adults and the you know, career professionals. No, we're talking to the young people. They're the sons. The mother didn't go out and go get the vessels. Now, I'm not absolving anybody, but I'm trying to include another group of the church. Amen? You've got to start. You've got to include everybody. Amen? Use everybody. Include everybody when you preach. Amen? Address marriages. Address divorced people. Amen? Use grace when you address divorced people. Okay? Because they've already beaten themselves up, and the devil has, if they're convicted, they want to, you know, they're trying to follow God's ways. Amen? Use grace when you address single mothers. Amen? Why? Because they're already beating themselves up, not all the time, but some of them may be beating themselves up, or others that they're coming against, you know, and, and they're trying to do it the right way now. Right? But what good would it do if we, do, if we booted them back down? Right? 
Let your speech be seasoned with grace. Amen? And so we see they're, 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 they are, you know, and she's empowering her sons to go and do the job, right? And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, there is not another vessel. And then I, I like to say this. I said, these are the three saddest words in the English language. The oil cease. And then I like to talk about how revival flows until there are no more vessels. Until we enjoy all the presence of God, but guess what we don't do? We don't go and get another vessel. So now here's the challenge back on bringing your friends, bringing your family, bringing new, pe new people to church, okay, so that we can bring them in here to be saved, to be filled up, so we can set aside the full ones. Amen? So I say, you know, I said, and then we hear the three saddest words in the English language, the oil cease. And then I talk about that revival was happening in churches and in, in, in denominations, and then they stopped bringing in people that needed the Lord. So there's no reason for any more oil to flow when there's not a vessel to pour into. Amen? So you can preach right from there. Amen? And so that's, and then I would probably at this point be listening to the Holy Spirit. I'd talk a little bit more about, the, the, again, the divine partnership. I'd talk a little bit about, um, uh, um, um, you know, where, you know, I, I really feel like at this point in the message, I'd really start to transition and not, um, not forget to include first, I would try to find the people that are lost in the crowd, okay? And then secondly, after, you know, God dealt with that, I would try to find the people in the crowd that were that empty vessel today. They'd come and they just don't, hadn't felt God in forever and, you know, and they're ready to really allow God to fill them up. And, and, and then I would look again, and then the last challenge I'd probably give was to the people who haven't been bringing the lost and haven't really been inviting their friends and family, and they've just been real comfortable and enjoyed the church and the worship and all the things. that. But if we don't do our job, the oil is going to cease. Metro Praise, do you hear me today? If we don't get vessels in here, the oil is flowing right now. We can't take it for granted that it's going to flow forever. When, the oil, when did the oil stop? When they didn't have any more vessels. Okay? So now we can apply that to them, and then we give our altars all, and then we, we minister as God says. Amen? And that's how I would gain from this text, and that's how I would preach it. Looking for the informational passages of Scripture, and looking at the rhema within those passages of scripture okay that's one way to preach types and shadows old testament stuff i always try to find christ in the text you know and, these, and and again these are all just things that i've heard from the holy spirit and that works for me and maybe this doesn't work for you this is just some clues some you know some different tools in your toolbox to try to help win this world for jesus christ amen let me pray for you father in the name of jesus we bless you I want to thank you, God, for just the opportunity to kind of just share uh, just one of the ways, God, that you've, you've shown me how to interpret the Bible and not only really to interpret it, but really just how to preach and minister the Bible to others, Lord. Lord, I thank you for that double-edged sword that cuts both, Father God, the preacher and the listener, oh God. Lord, we pray, God, that you would give us more time being cut by the word before we even ever preach the word, Lord God. We pray that, Jesus, your will would be done and that your name would be glorified in our ministries, Lord God. Lord, we do pray, God, for, for the oil not to cease in this last day's revival, Lord God, especially here in Metro Praise Churches, even around the world, Lord God. Father, I thank you for just the honor and privilege that you've given me to speak to these SUM students who will be graduates, God, and going into the mission field around the globe. Lord, I pray, God, that they'll remember the things that their instructors have taught them, Lord God. And, God, I thank you that Christ's school is more than head knowledge, Lord God. That the school of the Spirit is really, is really the, the, the knowledge that we need to gain. That, 
that, that epinosis, Lord God. That divine knowledge, that interaction, that intimacy, Lord God. Because we were made for intimacy, God. With you, Lord God. We want that intimacy. We want that intimacy with the word of God. And I thank you for it. And Lord, I bless their time. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys.